Hello everyone and welcome to Comsun, the podcast for PR superstars and communications professionals. Join me, Claude Pickavance, as I delve into the highs and lows of my peers' careers. In each episode, I'll be picking my guests' brains to find out about their career path, biggest PR disasters, and for the tips they wish they'd had when they were starting out. This week, we're joined by communications strategist Janelle Aldred. She started her career as a journalist, working for the BBC, ITV and ITN, in front of and behind the camera. Roles in digital strategy and as a TV manager followed before she set up her consultancy and started her first book on comms. So thanks for joining me on today's comms hand, Janelle. Thank you so much for having me, Cloda. Brilliant. So we're recording this remotely um, and I'll just get cracking with the questions because I'm so excited to pick your brains. So to kick things off, how did you get into comms, Janelle? So I got into comms because I was a journalist for around 13 years. And so, you know, that's an inevitable. Many journalists move into kind of comms as their next mm-hmm. role when they leave journalism. And also, you know, I've just always been interested in communications. I was remembering when um, I was a child, I sat outside my dad's office and listened to all of his phone conversations mm-hmm. because he was a minister at the time and I would listen to how he would maneuver people and and move them around to kind of his way of thinking and I think that probably my first um interest in the power of communications and the power it has to kind of change people in their minds and their thinking amazing so kind of your role model I guess then was your dad starting out but so you've touched on it so 13 years as a journalist what made you think right I'm going to make that jump to then becoming a communications specialist in all honesty I think Nothing to any of my former colleagues who still do news. You know, I look at the news and I look at the kind of the mistrust it has sometimes. And I look at the kinds of things we're talking about, which is basically here are all the worst things that happened in the world today. And now we're going to tell you about them and add some pictures just in case you don't get the gist of what's happening. And I think that for me, in the end, I just felt like actually it was making me feel very negative and cynical. Um, I didn't really know if that is the kind of energy that I wanted to put out into the world. So I had a couple of um, attempts at trying to kind of leave media and always went back because I was a very institutionalised newsroom person. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think in the end, for me, I just felt like, you know what, I want to bring solutions to the world rather than just talking about the problems all the time. Love that. And I feel like I feel quite the same as a comms person that things can be solution based. So often you might be, you know, tasked with something that's a a problem. What's the solution or that? If it's a brand, it might be the selling point The the reason someone's going to buy something is because you're alleviating something that's an issue in their life. And and whether it's a product is going to perhaps make it better. So and that, I guess, when the shoes on the other foot and from the other side is the quite exciting um, element of that. so yeah, as we've mentioned, you started your career then, so as a news presenter. So then looking back, what advice would you give to yourself at the beginning of your career? I would say you have no idea where this thing is going to go. You'll have your plans, but stay flexible. I think that's probably too brief, but that's probably what I would have said to myself, because actually, when you start out, when I first started news reading, I wanted to be on news at 10. That was my big dream. And then over time... Yeah moved away from that dream because then I realized all the things you have to do to kind of make to the top nothing 
sexual, <laughs> but just, you know, all the things like, you know, all the events and what you have to give to it. I just felt like I don't know if that's actually what I want to do anymore. So I would have said to myself, stay flexible because I would never have imagined the day when I would want to leave a newsroom and not do that as a job. And I think yeah. sometimes when you enter something, the way you see it is just so different from when you've been there five years, 10 years. Mm. Definitely kind of that you grow and evolve. Stay flexible. I think that in the year of 2020, I think that's really invaluable advice because I don't know about you, but I'm an extremely organized person and I like planning and I like to know what's going on. And at the moment, I constantly, I guess, feel out of my comfort zone because I want to be like, right, that's what's planned in for 2021. And not saying that there's not any point, but it's almost like you could have the best laid plans and everything changes. So then yeah, I think, yeah, if you're ready and open for where the journey could take, you definitely have goals, but be open to, you know, how things could evolve um, in your career. And you, it sounds like, you know, you had a really successful career um, in news and news reading, um, but have made that that jump to comms. And so um, I've got another really good question for you. So your biggest PR disaster and why, Danelle, if you've had a comms one from kind of making the move, or it could actually be even from your news reading days is there is there any kind of disaster stories and had a real learning from it that you could share with us so the biggest disaster that I ever had was I put the C word out on telly can you imagine oh no no the worst word um it was my very first ever series on news and I was new on the job and you know it was regional news and I'd gone to do one of those around the regions beauty spots things that yeah, we all yeah. on our news programs mm-hmm. and we were doing lots of filming in all these beautiful locations and we'd brought the tape back and I'd watched it the cameraman had filmed it the editor who was editing the edited it our producer had watched it and still we managed to put out on the telly the c word in 13 foot letters in a field of hay yeah really said that then in in pictures as opposed to somebody saying it yes it was in pictures and so oh, this right. goes out um at tea time on yeah the and immediately we get a couple of phone calls okay. <laughs> Do you know you just put the C word out on telly? So thankfully it was spelt, but still you wouldn't even spell it. You would put asterisks in it if someone said it. Oh, so God. yeah, so that's labeled do not use somewhere in the BBC archives. This is no. that's a good learning in general. So even that if as that's from your news days, it just shows you that you know you could have so many people involved and yet sometimes something that's so and it seems then glaringly obvious in hindsight but then at the moment when you're editing you're probably looking at completely different things that you just wouldn't necessarily notice something like that no we were looking at the beautiful shots of nature like from this windmill and we'd had this jib and you know we were looking at the expanse and the kind of they were almost like drone style shots and so we and so many eyes had seen it so many eyes and like you say what I think what that taught me is be across the detail for yourself because sometimes yeah. actually you feel like oh well someone else is going to look at it and someone else will catch something but I think as much as mm. possible now, I do try and, and auto correct is kicking my ass all the time but I do try mm. to be across the detail myself so that I can spot mistakes when they happen and not rely on someone else spotting it um because oftentimes many of us will be blind to the same thing and you also see in PR Mm. campaigns that go really wrong whether they be for cultural or diversity reasons what you see is that everyone in the room didn't spot it 
that everybody in the room was looking at something else. And sometimes, you know, people say, how the hell did that get passed? I know exactly how it happens. Because in the room, we're all very excited together. And like you say, the way that we're viewing it in the room is with like a lot of adrenaline and the little minute details and and the things that should be glaringly obvious are missed in our kind of general excitement. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good advice. And yeah, it's the same that even with a press release, you could print it. It's only sometimes when I print something out that and read it aloud that I see something. And sometimes, as you say, you know, having all these people in the in the room, um, and you kind of touched on it earlier that, you know, you'd worked in news for 13 years. So everything in one way can kind of become formulaic. And so you're not necessarily spotting those things but sometimes it's just worth and you know if you're allowed to do it having someone that maybe is like a family friend or your partner to have a look at something and then because they've not got the background on it at all and it's a fresh pair of eyes they go oh hang on a minute um and then also as from like a diversity point of view as you point out I guess our backgrounds do mold how we see and view things and so it is important to show things to different people because they would might have a completely different viewpoint of something and see it from a different lens that then you know you wouldn't necessarily see it from and it's not necessarily a bad thing but then it just helps with those mistakes that's really good advice and um a good one to learn from it must be hard actually proofing video though as well because it's not like it's going to come up with red squiggly text underneath it either Um, honestly sometimes the other day someone edited a video for me and I was like okay mm. and I must confess I didn't really watch it properly because I was so busy which is why I've got someone else to edit it and yeah. it's only when I'd uploaded it I was a massive black hole in it and I was like oh Ooh. well I can't take it down now but like you say like sometimes just in our rush and excitement especially in comms you know we have these amazing sparky moments of ideas mm. And then it's hard just to sit back, like you say, and look at it from non-coms eyes and from audience eyes. And one thing I learned um, in news, which was, you know, so useful is the audience have to be at the heart of everything. And so we always have to be looking at it through audience eyes. Which part of our audience is this hitting? Who is it missing? Who's missing from this room that could add something that a section of our audience might not um, or might be looking for or might be wanting to hear or wanting to see. Um, no one person can can get the whole spectrum of people. It has to be kind of a team and listening to all the different voices in the room. That's a really good viewpoint and kind of way to look at things and be thinking about your audiences. Do you think that's because you're always thinking like that in your news days? Do you think that's helped you having moved to a comm side to be having that point of view that you might be putting something out, but who is it that you're talking to and how do I adapt it for this audience? Or is it just this one particular audience that, that I'm talking to? How do you think that's helped you? It's It was just so deeply ingrained in my first bit of training that I think I always think of it. I think where it's harder for people is when mm. we do comms for ourselves. So if you've got a business or if you work in comms and you're doing something for yourself, I think sometimes actually people find it quite hard. I find it quite hard for me. But if I'm thinking about a client it's very easy for me to identify who is their audience, who should they be talking yeah. to. But it just goes so deep down into the core of my values because I just, if you don't have an audience, you are just talking to yourself. But the truth mm. is, all of us do have audiences, but sometimes we don't consider them an audience because we might think, oh, well, we're talk- doing internal comms. And so we forget mm. that actually anyone on the other side of that comms is your audience. And yeah. so it's about how do we always put ourselves in that mode and one of the biggest things I've noticed so I do a lot of um like video presentation training and the biggest mm-hmm. 
people forget is to get out of their own head and focus on their audience. But yeah. most focus on ourselves because we feel conscious. That's really good advice. And I like the thing about your employees because a lot of people can see it as a tick box exercise. Like I would just send an email out to staff and it's like actually your staff or your ambassadors, so how they think and feel about your company, that's what they're going to be telling their friends. They could be the people giving um, updates about different things. So um, if you keep your staff well informed, then, you know, even just with Woken Borough Council, like it's not necessarily um, glam, but there are lots of big projects going on. So, you know, a friend might say, well, what's going on with the new leisure centre that's being knocked down? And I then have the insight to let them know. And then another friend might ask them. And it's that kind of word of mouth conversation that we forget about which I actually think is really important with engagement with employees and thinking about um our audiences and as you say not thinking as if you're talking to yourself or just pushing messages out but yeah thinking how that's going to land with the audience and different people very good advice we're absolutely blitzing through these questions uh-huh. I'm just going to have to have an open session at the end to pick your brain Janelle but um my next question would be, what makes a good boss and why? Have you, have you had many bosses over your careers? Do any stand out? I've had some great bosses. I've had some terrible bosses. I've been a good boss and I've been a terrible boss. And I think the thing that we forget about management is that we're basically dealing with humans. And yeah. whilst bosses may have arrived at a place of seniority in their work or in their craft or in let's be honest sometimes time spent on the job (laughs) more than so much skill actually what you are dealing with is a human who is also bringing to work all of their crap excuse me yeah we all are and so I think sometimes we look for in managers something that they just don't have and Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you know, we would like to think that our managers have ascended to a certain level of personal maturity to be able to manage people, but not all of them have. And I think sometimes, I think if I could look at the singular trait that's been in all of my worst bosses, <laughs> that yeah. I have, would be insecurity. Because okay. people who are insecure in themselves can never make other people feel secure and part of being a manager is about helping people to I, I don't like to use the word safe because I think that's the wrong word but part of being a manager to feel secure in their job and secure in their skills and secure that they have a future insecure people can't give that because they don't have that themselves and that is not an outside thing it's an inside thing and I think mm-hmm with the managers that I would say have been some of the best managers, they're very secure in themselves, who they are. They know who they are. They know what they bring. So because they know that, if they get talent in their team, if they get um, troublemakers in their team, like whoever comes into the team, they don't lose their sense of self. So they're always able to manage out of a healthy place. But when people are insecure, when talent comes in the team, when youth comes in the team, when fresh ideas or different thinking or something that's challenging, that person starts feeling like they can't do it. But most managers will never say, I can't do it. (laughs) What they will then do is normally project a lot of that back onto the team member. Mm. And I think, you know, that's probably the biggest thing I've noticed even in my own um in my own kind of leading, when I've been leading well, I felt supported by above me. I felt secure in my job and secure in what I'm doing. When I haven't managed well, I've not been secure. I've not felt supported or I felt like I've been brought into a role that wasn't the role I thought it was or the team on who I, the team I thought I was inheriting. So I think it's, um, 
always important to look at it as humanity. And of course, when your manager is a terrible manager, that is not actually your problem. <laughs> and I think that's the other thing yeah. that people, it's hard because it feels very personal. So one thing that I've always tried to do with the work is to make it about the work and not make it yeah. personal. So when I give critique, I try to always critique the work, not the person, because actually mm-hmm. that's better. Um, so some people say, I feel like you don't like me. I was like, I do like you. I think you're great. I think you're great around the building. I think you're great. Mm-hmm. The, the work isn't right and we need to fix that because ultimately that's why we all came here today was to do our jobs. <laughs> so that bit has mm-hmm. to be done. But some people, um, they think they are their job. So because mm. they are their job, anything that troubles their job, anything that troubles their position in that job becomes very, very confronting. And so um, on my Twitter and my Instagram profile, mm. with, I am not my job because I'm not my job. You know, like you were talking about glam or not glam comms, because we have a perception of what we think is exciting. Actually, if yeah. you comms, if you love words, you'll love that wherever you do it doesn't matter if it's the council or ASOS yeah. or wherever because actually your intention is to move and change through communication if you just like the glitz and glam you will never focus on your audience because actually your intention and and the space you manage from and the space you work from is is not that sense of serving and um a pure motivation Sorry, I rambled on and on. <laughs> no, that was a really good. And you kind of touched on some things that I want to expand on because those were some really good points. So on the kind of glam thing, so it's exactly that. You really hit the nail in the head. So as like a comms person, I feel exactly like that. You could literally give me anything to write about. And I spoke about it last week with um, Ellen, but it's like some people are so confused. They're like, how could you do beauty? And then how can you go and PR like fridges and freezers? And then how can you go and work for the local council? And I'm like, the thing that makes it exciting for me is figuring out what the why is and, and what the audience is looking for and then landing that message. So I think that's really important. And then also really good advice there about it being on the good and bad bosses, because absolutely just somebody giving feedback as well isn't necessarily a reflection of you and that's also then from a a managing people point of view don't say it's it's all to do with wording like language is so powerful so if you wrote an email and said you did this wrong and this was wrong and this was wrong take a step back and be like it would be good if we changed this language because and just think about the way that um you're wording it when feeding it back and then again as you as you rightly mentioned um yeah our work is not as so when somebody does feedback it isn't necessarily personal you've got to think about what the objective is and especially if someone's got you know years more experience than you they might be seeing something from a bigger perspective where they might know what that kickback is going to be so I always just try and take it as a learning when somebody feeds back and I've had it before though where I might write a press release and one boss I give it to might have loads of changes and then another boss who I've also sent it to because I'm just waiting to see who comes back first um, might have no changes and then you realize that actually the boss that made all of the changes it's more of a stylistic thing and because they want it to read in their kind of tone of voice and um, but actually has a message change well no it hasn't and um, so I think that's really good advice to now which leads me nicely to my last question but I feel like I'm going to pick your brains more anyway um which is if you could PR any brand or person dead or alive who would it be and why I think this one is so hard I would probably PR Hillary Clinton 
which okay. I know is of course, but I watched a documentary on her, which mm. I found fascinating, and I feel like she's such an enigma, and she's someone mm. who has had various guises of who she is in her different stages of public life, and I just feel like as a woman out there, I feel like her comms people have not done a good job of selling her. Hmm. Yeah, because in the last election, you would have really hoped that then she got that role, which do you think that was a comms thing or do you think it was because America wasn't ready to have a woman president? I think, one, it was her and everything that comes with being a Clinton. So I think there's there's previous baggage, but Donald yeah. Trump got elected, so previous baggage is not always a decider. I do think it was a messaging thing. Because I think mm. what they weren't quick enough to do, and, and I find politics fascinating for this, and I, I love mm. politics, I'm, a, I'm massively into it and a watcher yeah. of it. But I, I think they weren't quick enough to pivot her and to pivot the way that she was dealing with press and to pivot the way that she was talking and acting in response to someone who was acting in a way that politics has never seen. So because politics have never really seen it, they but they still just tried to stay steady with the way that she would have run a race. Now she could have run that race against an Al Gore or against uh, George Bush, but she could not run that same race against Donald Trump. And I feel like her comms team didn't quite know how to move her and move the messaging on to combat what he was saying and also go on the offensive. Mm-hmm. So she spent a lot of that campaign on the defensive and. I feel like that really harmed her. And also, I think they just really tried to tuck away a lot of her personality which, mm. for the likability. But the truth is, you don't really know what people are going to like. But I know what people don't like, and people don't like people who are not being themselves. And I think that was a big issue. It's so true, because you're never going to get everybody to like you. But if you act like yourself, then you'll automatically attract like-minded people or people who are your tribe or essentially people who are going to be your audience and buy into you so I think that that's really good advice what do you make of the latest um election <laughs> win over there and then, yeah, as a forward nice. journalist, what, what, what do you make of having to report on the the corrupt voting <laughs> I've inverted comments it's a crazy one one the whole situation is it's insane but I do think whether or not you like Donald Trump he runs effective campaigns so Mm. people take that as oh supporting him no I'm not supporting him at all I'm just saying that he runs effective campaigns and he does and I think we really need to um if we're interested to which we are because we're into comms is is when, when you break down the different comms the messaging I'm not sure Joe Biden won because he ran a good campaign he ran because people were just tired of the uh, general circus. Yeah. But in terms of how is Trump at mobilizing his base, speaking to his base, and really delivering his message in a way that gets them like right in the heart and the gut and in the mind? I've never seen anything like it. Never seen mm. anything like it. Um, he, I was watching him on the news, this is like maybe two weeks ago, and I don't even know what this, you know, giving a speech at some sort of rally. And I don't know, there's probably a, a technical term for it in comms, but I noticed he did something where he was like, you know, for this country, I'm going to make sure there are jobs, 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 which 
there's obviously definitely is a term for that because it's similar to what Blair did with his education, education, education. I don't know what the term is for that. But so as a comms person, I always find it really interesting to watch when people give speeches because, yeah, there are certain, there must be like a rule of threes or something. It's like they've obviously done, which I now can't remember, what is it space, face, yeah, yeah it's not landed with me <laughs> but everything is like the power of three headlines yeah use it. yeah and like speech writers use it and the repetition of saying something three times is definitely very very powerful and but he he just was a because whether or not you think he's a smart person or a nice person uh he has a level of emotional intelligence that enables him mm. to connect with people understand what the people he's trying to you know attract are thinking and feeling and I think the same goes for the people he knows that don't like him like he knows how to push people's buttons but every good sales polarizing yeah but he's he's a salesman he's a salesman and he sold himself to those people and that's how he did it Yeah, he kind of knew what knew who his audience was and didn't didn't sway from that. So he didn't try to win everybody over. He was like, This is the people that I'm going after, this is my polarizing opinions. And yeah, I guess those people who are aligned with that, it's it's almost so like stronger to stick to your guns and be polarizing like um oh now I forget his name, I always do this, but there's um why can't I remember his surname? The guy who just swears all the time, James something, the fitness influencer, and he's almost like his selling point is like he's like, I'm not trying to um Gordon Ramsay as well with the F word yeah with the swearing and it's almost like so many people will be offended by that but then the people who aren't it's then it stands out and yeah it's polarizing and it catches people's attention and very good well that was absolutely fascinating I love that all of my chats now with people always revert back to politics but um as I say last time it affects all of our lives and it is it is so truly interesting and actually as a comms person you can learn so much from um following what the different um political communications are um but yeah thank you so much for joining me albeit virtually um, and hopefully post coronavirus i get to meet you properly in person janelle that would be awesome and i look forward to that thanks again to janelle for featuring us this week's comms hunt I personally loved her goal of bringing solutions to the world rather than just talking about the problems. What's your personal objective? Tune in next week as we're joined by the lovely Louise O'Sullivan, who is Global Head of Internal Communications at the Ukes and Netta Porter Group.